glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, for so he was, uh, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Uh, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young uh, pigeons. Excuse me. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation." which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be Revealed. We'll stop reading there. Simeon and Anna, of course, are two characters that surround the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I enjoy studying the characters. I preach on them about every year. Some of them uh, at this time of year, it's fine to preach on other times of year. I think in June we preached out of the, the account of Jesus' birth on Elizabeth. I love Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Great people of faith or people of great faith and faithfulness. I love the example of faithfulness in the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that God paints for us always with his words an honest and true picture. Uh, if you study the, 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 the time frame surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was not a pleasant time for the people uh, of Israel, for the Jewish people. Uh, for some time they had had silence. God had refused to speak to them. We call it the 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. And God breaks the silence when he begins to speak with Zacharias by the angel Gabriel. Uh, Silence has been, but he tells of the coming of John the Baptist, and that's in Luke chapter 1. And then he breaks the silence again when he speaks to Mary. Then he speaks to Joseph. Now, what would happen if you were not Mary or Joseph or Zacharias or Elizabeth, you're not seeing angels. Only a handful of people actually got direct messages from God. Uh, At this point in time, these things are all in in line with and uh, direct fulfillment of Old Testament written prophecies. And there are people like Simeon. I just want you to, I want to see Simeon correctly today. I said it paints an honest picture. If you were Simeon, what's the indicator that the Messiah has been born? I mean, what exactly is it that tells you he's here? I mean, it's unlike the pictures. Mary and Joseph did not walk in and this baby is glowing. 
That's not correct, by the way. Don't believe the pictures you see drawn. Uh, That's not correct. He didn't glow. He didn't have a halo around his head. The Bible says that he had no form nor comeliness as as a man that he should be desired. Meaning, when Jesus was an adult, he didn't walk down the street and you go, Whoa, who's that? He blended. He he was like everyone else. He ran around with a bunch of fishermen. (laughs) I'm not belittling. I'm saying he was a common man by appearance. And as a baby, it was no different. It was not uncommon for parents to bring a baby into the temple, have him circumcised, and after the days of purification, to come back and offer a sacrifice according to the law. That would not have been an uncommon thing. Here's what was uncommon for the Jewish people, as I began to say. The temple that was there was built by a Roman despot named Herod. You read about him in Matthew chapter 2. May I say this, there are people right now, and we look around us, and I'll be honest with you, if I have any understanding of what's going on in the world, we're in a dark time. Not just because of COVID, but because of what it has revealed about world politics and where things are at and confusion and people frustrated. It's kind of a dark time. We have, we have some evil people in high places around the world. Would we agree with that? I was reading yesterday just a little bit about uh, an agreement signed between the Vatican and China in 2018. They've not had relationships with each other since 1969, I think it is. But in 2018, they renewed that relationship and they renewed it again this last October so that, you know, when you start reading, you go, oh my, red dragons and whores in Revelation 17. I'm not speaking uncouth. It's what the Bible calls her in Revelation 17, the great whore, that religious uh, system that, uh, that, that promotes uncleanness spiritually and in all other ways and you start looking at the Bible and you start looking at what's going on in the world. Boy, it's dark. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus came the first time, it was dark. You had a man named Herod who was ruling over the Jewish people. He'd built the temple. We would understand that the tax that was, that was, that was, uh, that was called for that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem very likely had to do with more work to be done on that temple. It was his masterpiece, as I would understand. Herod was a, a vindictive man. He was a man impressed and in love with himself. He was a man who was willing to kill little babies so they would not threaten his throne. What a great guy. And you're in that temple trying to serve God when it's built by that wretched man. Now, what was it in Simeon's life that made him say, God's salvation has come? Was it his circumstances? No. Man, when Joseph and Mary walked in, if you read the text, they didn't offer a bullock. That's what wealthy people offered. They didn't offer a lamb. That's what normal people offered. They offered turtle doves or a pigeon. That's what the poorest of the poor had to offer. And that's what they offered. So it wasn't their appearance that made Simeon say, hey, here he is. What made Simeon ready for the Messiah when he showed up? And it had to do with his relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. The only thing that caused Simeon to recognize the Savior was that he was listening to the Spirit of God. He was understanding of the Scriptures. There was nothing circumstantially that said light was coming on, but God told him it was so and he believed God. May I say this, I believe in the dark time in which we live, we still have the light of God's Word. If you're saved this morning, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I believe we can daily live ready for His second coming, just like Simeon did. Not because of our circumstances, but because the same Spirit of God is still living today, 
and working hearts. I'm a little ahead of myself, but that's kind of the gist of the message. Let's look at Simeon this morning. I want to just focus on him and look at the kind of man he was and how he responded to Jesus Christ as a babe. By the way, this is how we know that Jesus is God, was God, and always will be God. He's an infant and worshipped as an infant. And nobody said, don't do that. (laughs) That's idolatry. You know, I don't go around worshipping infants, and I'm not going to. But Jesus Christ was worthy of worship because he is God in the flesh. So let's go ahead and read verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. Excuse me, let's start in verse 25 again, rather. Verse 25 again. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And the same man was, and this gives us two words, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And in verse 25, what we have here is a a description that characterizes Simeon. I'm going to call it Simeon's character. And I want to say some things about this because I think this is what God is telling us about him. The Bible doesn't just say Simeon was just. The Bible says he was just and devout. When it says he was just, the word simply means to be equitable, to be innocent or holy, means to be just or meet or righteous, meaning Simeon was righteous in the sight of God. We know that doesn't mean he was sinless. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's not a just man that sinneth not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What it means is Simeon, like every other person, had been justified by Faith. Romans chapter 4 is a great chapter. If you want a chapter on justification and how we are deemed righteous by God, the Bible says we obtain righteousness by faith. When we believe God concerning Jesus Christ, whether it was those way back in the Old Testament who believed concerning a coming Savior or we who believe now concerning the living Savior who's died for our sins, man has been justified by faith from the beginning. Abel was justified by faith. He believed God concerning a blood sacrifice. He believed God concerning the innocent dying for the guilty. The just shall live by faith. And so that's, this has to do with Simeon's position. He's a just man. He is a righteous man. And certainly that it must have been an allusion to his practice. But when it uses the word just and devout, may I say this? You may have put faith in Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake. That makes you just. Romans 5 says we're justified by faith. Romans 5 verse 1. We're justified by faith. If you've believed God concerning your sinful state, believed God concerning your worthiness of condemnation, believed God that Jesus Christ took your place and have placed your faith in Christ, and by His Word He justified you. He has put away your sins. Your name is written in the book of life. You are just. But can you think of anybody in the Bible that was just but was not devout? I think of a man named Lot. I'm a man named Lot. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, the Bible refers to him as just Lot. And then it says, That righteous man vexed his soul from day to day with the filthy conversation of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. In what he saw and what he heard. Meaning, Lot had believed God concerning redemption, concerning forgiveness, concerning... And I understand they didn't understand what we do about the Savior, but he had put his faith in the God of Abraham and had been justified. But Lot was not devout. The word devout means this, taking well or carefully, being circumspect or pious to be devout. One concerning Simeon deals with his position. He's just. He is a righteous man in the sight of God. But to be just and devout... 
mean Simeon was circumspect in the practicality of what he believed. He was not willy-nilly about what he believed concerning God. He took God seriously. First Peter puts it this way, sober and vigilant. It's a rare person today, even if they're just, to find devout. It's a rare thing to find a devout person. We don't hardly even use the word anymore. Devout really deals with the idea of being devoted. I'm sold out. I'm in 110%. This morning, what I want to see about Simeon is because he was living in anticipation of one thing. At this point in Simeon's life, he was living for one thing. God had told him, before you die, you're going to see the Christ. And that's all he thought about. And that's all he lived for. You know what? I believe, if you study Scripture... As Christians, we're supposed to be about one thing. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul lived his life daily for one day in his life, the day he would see his Savior. Now, I remember hearing a couple years ago, let me give you an illustration. I remember hearing a couple years ago about a man, and he was... Is, I don't remember which Super Bowl it was, probably two or three years back. He had attended every Super Bowl since they started. The man is old. <laughs> Everyone. You know what I said he is? When it comes to football, that man's devout. Do you know how many thousands of dollars that man's had to spend to attend every Super Bowl? He had made it a point in his life, I love football and I love the Super Bowl and I'm going to go to every one. Now, we see somebody that says, it's all they think about is Christ. What, is, what does my Savior want? And somehow in our flesh we think, is, it real? I mean, is that appropriate? I mean, is we supposed to, do we have to be fanatics? I find Simeon is a man you'd call fanatic. He's just and devout. Uh, he is righteous in his position, but he is righteous in his practice. And so the word devout, again, means to be circumspect, excuse me, or pious in the religious sense. So when it came to... Being a doer of the word, he took that very seriously. He was a devout man. That, we're still dealing with his character, his position. He's just. In practice, he's devout. And then it deals with his patience. The Bible said, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout. What's the next word? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation deals with the comfort, the consoling message of the Savior's arrival. Simeon had not seen the consolation of Israel. He had read, as I have read this week in the books of Jeremiah and some of the minor prophets reading this week, it's where my Bible reading is at. God pronounces judgment on Judah. God pronounces judgment on them. But then, after the judgment, almost inevitably, he'll come back and say, but one day, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll make you a nation. One day, I'll put your sins away and remember them no more. One day, I'll raise you up and the Gentiles will come and be at your feet. God makes some promises to the nation of Israel that, yes, you're being judged, but I'm not going to forget you and I'm going to restore you as a nation. By the way, that's not done yet. It is in the process, but it's not done yet. If you read about the Valley of Dry Bones, uh, the bones were put together before breath was put in them, right? I believe today the makings of that nation are there, but has no life in it. They're still an atheistic country, a people that reject God. I'm trying to say this. 2,000 years ago, Simeon was waiting for the fulfillment of those promises. I don't believe he could look at the temple and say, Oh, Lord, thank you for keeping the promises you made in Jeremiah. No, he looked at the temple and they were still oppressed. 
I don't think he could think about Herod the Roman, Herod the Great, being the ruler that's determining how the Jews had to live their daily lives and governing over them in his despotic way. He was a a tyrant and ruling over them and think, oh, Lord, thank you. No, it was a time when it was hard to be a Jewish person. You had a man with high caliber character like Joseph living as a pauper and you have a man that's vile and wicked and a murderer of babies ruling as a king. What kind of world is that? Same kind we live in. I wonder this. I wonder if God has to let things get bad enough on planet earth so that God's people are sick of earth and ready for heaven. We are too in love with this to be ready for there. I'm talking about saved people who know where you're going when you die, but we still are too attached to what we have here. I wonder if it just has to get oppressive enough and dark enough that we long for the light of heaven that we long for that new Jerusalem one day that talks about in Revelation where there is no more sin and there's no more sorrow and there's none of that that Jesus Christ is ruling instead of wicked men ruling. I wonder if He's not just wetting our appetite for the consolation of His second coming. There are those around the throne, if you read in Revelation, who've been beheaded for the Lord Jesus Christ and they're saying what to the Lord? Lord, how long? It's not what we're saying. Lord, how long do we have to be uncomfortable down here? Please change our circumstances so we can be happy on earth. Instead of, how long till you come and fix this? Simeon was a patient man. He's waiting. He's While he's waiting for God to keep his promise concerning the first coming, he's serving in a just and devout way. Many, because we're waiting, Second Peter warns of scoffers who will say, where's the sign of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. Second Peter chapter 3, I believe about verse 8 on down through verse 10, he says, But the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There may be some folk today who are just but not devout because they're tired of waiting on the Lord. They've gotten their eyes off the fact He's coming again. And so then we've lost our patience and say, You know, I might as well just live... I've been hearing that Jesus is coming. You know, they were preaching before I was born. They've been preaching it since the New Testament was written. Who knows when he's coming? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's not the way Simeon was living. Now, I understand we've not been assured he's coming in our lifetime. Simeon had been, but have we been assured that he's coming? He said, if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Simeon's character, he was... Just, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. While he's waiting on God to keep his word and console and comfort his people by sending the Christ, that that prophet Moses had prophesied of, that that holy one that had been prophesied in Isaiah, uh, the, 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 the son of a virgin that had been prophesied, Emmanuel, God with us. They're waiting for God to visit. He's living a just and a devout life. Look, if you would at the text we see so often because I think we need reminded of it on a regular basis. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's our practice, our position. We've been saved by God's grace. We are to be devout. I believe verse 12 is a, is a description of what a devout life looks like. We're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 13 deals with our patience, though. Looking for 
that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying himself of peculiar people zealous of good works. I wonder if people said, Simeon, how long have you been waiting for this so-called Christ to come? He's an old man by now. Maybe he said 60 years, 65 years. Well, don't you think if he was going to come, I mean, aren't you running out of time, old buddy? You're getting a little old, aren't you? I mean, what all have you missed out on by living your devout life? You've been living waiting for this Christ, waiting so that you might live up to his expectations. What if it's all just a waste? Don't we hear the same things today? The life that God has called us to live to, those of us who he's redeemed and bought with his blood, he's called us to live a separated life unto him, will not be fully vindicated, vindicated until the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. It won't look worthwhile until we're before our master. Don't expect the world to say, wow, you know, I don't agree with you, but boy, you're living a life worthwhile. There are things that if you're going to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, look, if you're going to deny ungodliness, you're going to miss out on some money in this world. If you're going to deny worldly lust, you're going to miss out on some pleasures in this life. If you're going to live a devout life because you're just, by the way, you can't be devout if you've not been justified. Try to live a devout life if you're an unsaved person, if you've not received eternal life. It's vain effort. It won't impress God. You must be justified by faith in Christ. But the devout life, I believe Simeon, to some, must have been living a dull and boring life, waiting for something they were not convinced would even happen. But he was. He was convinced that before he kicked the bucket, he was going to see the Christ. Now, why did Simeon believe he would see the Christ before he died? The Bible says the Holy Ghost told him he would. Now, how do you explain that to anybody else? How do you explain what the Holy Ghost told I mean, how did the Holy Ghost tell him? The same way he tells you and me some things, through Scripture and through his witness in our heart and minds. It's not a feeling. It's not a voice. It's a message. (laughs) He is living, and he's real, and he's true, and he always works in conjunction with the Scriptures, never in disagreement with them. My point is this. The Christian today... We are positionally justified, but we need to be practically devout, like Simeon was as he waited for the Savior, and we need to have patience as we wait for his return. First Thessalonians 1.10 says that the Thessalonians turned from their false gods, from their idols, to wait for God's Son from heaven. Is that not what we're to be doing? You know what? When I'm waiting for someone, I'm constantly looking to see if they've showed up yet. Now, I understand we're not going to look. When Christ shows up, we'll know. But meaning we live in anticipation. And I want you to, I want to ask you this, and I want, I want you, please, to answer it in your own conscience. Do you live regularly in anticipation of Christ's return? Do you anticipate he actually, literally could return today? Christian, if not, then you might find the root of a lack of reviving. The second coming is spoken of, to my knowledge, in every New Testament book. Over and over. Read Paul's epistles and see how often he refers to the return of Jesus Christ. Over and over. And by the way, it's always for Paul in the future tense. He believed it could happen then, but the point was it hadn't happened yet. The book of Revelation is written in about A.D. 90, and it hadn't happened then yet either. We're still anticipating his return. I believe what Satan wants to do is get us worn out with waiting and saying, you know what, we might as well live like the worldlings because who knows when he's coming. Simeon was just one fellow. I only find he and Anna that got to see the Savior in the temple. How many people do you think actually saw Jesus in the temple on that day? 
Hordes. But how many of them saw him but didn't see him? How many people when Christ returned, they'll not see, he'll come and he'll catch us away, but they'll not even know it. The world will go on, but listen, he returns for those, Hebrews says, that are looking for his return. This morning, by faith, you and I, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that if, you got, if, you're, if you're saved, he's going to get you. But listen, we are to live waiting and looking for the return of our Savior like Simeon looked for his first coming. Number two, and always see Simeon's character, we then must see his counselor. His character was the result of who his counselor was. By that, I mean the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, Luke chapter 2, again, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. By the way, that term ceases to be used after the book of Acts. No longer does the Holy Spirit come upon people. If you're born again, he is not upon you. He is within you. There's a difference. In the Old Testament, you'll find it's uh, repeatedly that the Spirit of God was upon someone. And that's because Christ had not yet risen, was not yet glorified. There's reasons for that biblically. But the fact is, the Spirit of God was with Simeon. He was his companion and his counselor. Look at verse 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed him and said, and so on. We'll read that in a moment. I want you to see a few things about the Spirit of God with Simeon. Number one, he was dwelling with him. Now today, as I've just spoken, if you're, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God not only dwells with you, he dwells in you. Look, if you would, at Romans chapter 8 very quickly. Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is not a concept. He's a person. He is, he is the representative of Jesus Christ. He fully represents Christ. He is fully God. Uh, as he dwells in us, Christ said, if he went, then the Spirit of God would be sent. In Acts chapter 2 is when the Spirit of God was poured out on the church in Jerusalem. They spake with tongues. People heard them in their language. That's all that tongues was. It was not a unique language of its own. It was the ability to speak in the language that someone else could understand without having learned it. And so then in Romans chapter 8, there is the, the chapter is much about the Holy Spirit. And it says this in verse, uh, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit... If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, I read these verses just to emphasize the importance of the doctrine or the truth of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, he cried, If any man thirst, let him come to me and, 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 and drink. For out of his belly, says, shall flow rivers of living water. And then the Bible explains, This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which should be given after he was glorified. There's one thing that's clear. When you get born again, you receive the Spirit of God to dwell in your heart. That He dwells in us by faith. That the way that God dwells in men today is in the bodies of believers. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is. We are the temple, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that the believer, our body is the indwelling place, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Not a building. It's not this church building but the body of believers and uh, the, the church in collective, as we have him dwelling in us, he dwells in us collectively and individually. And so today, we, like Simeon, have a counselor dwelling with us to prepare us for his coming. My point is this. If I have a Bible and I have the author of the Bible living in me, I have no reason that I cannot be living a just and devout life as I anticipate the return of Christ. 
Man, they said, it's so hard to live for God in these days. Is anything too hard for God? Is that not what Mary said when the Bible said she would have a child and as a virgin? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is that not what Abraham was told when Sarah wondered if she could have a baby? Is anything too hard for God? Is it too hard for God to enable us to live godly lives in anticipation of His coming? Now, I'm just saying this. Simeon lived his life around one event. He lived his life toward one event. How so? By the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. The Lord Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, Without me ye can do nothing. But the flip verse of that is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. May I say this? Often we tell our young people, as we send them out into this working world, you know what we expect them to do? Help me now. We expect them to live lives of sin. Because our own unbelief gets transferred to them. We believe that the pressures of sin are greater than God can enable them to overcome. So we program them to know that when they leave mom and daddy's house and when they're young adults, they're just going to go live in sin because the world is such a wicked place. And I understand that may be the message of probability, but I'm here to tell you this morning, young person, if you want to live a just and a devout life, the Spirit of God and of Jesus Christ is living in you if you're saved and you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Here's the conclusion then. If I'm not living a godly life in anticipation of Christ's return, there's only one person responsible for that. And that is me. The Lord Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection has done everything necessary to save me from the fires of hell and from the pressures of sin. If I'm living defeated in sin today, it is not at fault of God. He has given me all I need in Christ Jesus to live a life of victory. That's what Romans 8 says. He says that the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the, 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 the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Until Christ is my Savior, I am bound to sin. I have no choice. I'll sin even when I don't want to sin. But if Christ is my Savior and His Spirit is with me, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Simeon lived in a dark world, did he not? Wicked leadership, politics was dark, uh, society was dark, sin was running rampant. We think we got a corner on sin. I understand evil men and seducers have waxed worse and worse, but they've always been around. <laughs> One of my daughters and I were listening to an old-time radio show the other day. It was Shailen and I. It was made from the 1950s, and it was one of these old, uh, based on true story, crime records, you know, solving the crime. She said, even back then, things were that bad? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, they were that bad. It's... Men have been killing each other since the Garden of Eden. And men have been doing every other wicked thing that men do. All the way back before the flood. I understand it's worse and worse in these days, but sometimes Satan gets us to focus on the darkness to excuse us living in it. Rather than relying on the light of his word and the light of his presence. Here's what I'm saying. In a dark world, the Bible says that Simeon had light. The Bible says that his counselor declared some things to him, gave him some light. Because it says in verse 26, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before uh, he had seen the Lord's Christ. Again, step into the, his world with me for just a minute. If Simeon is looking at, this is a, I mean, when is it a good time for Christ to return? At what point should we say, oh, you know, a lot of people right now are saying, boy, we're at the end times. We're in the end times. Look, we've been in the end times for a couple thousand years. It's just the truth. I don't know when he's coming. He could come today. 
But I'll tell you when it's a good time for him to come, whenever he decides. I don't know. I know this. When he comes, men will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Meaning life will be going on as normal because in general, the society will have learned to ignore God. They'll marry and give in marriage. They'll eat and drink. And then, boom, the judgment of God's going to fall. The Bible says he's coming like a thief in the night. It's not like the world's going to be on alert. I wonder if he's coming now. We've got the Christmas star coming. Maybe this is it. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I know this. He'll come when he does. And you and I need to be ready. And I believe if Simeon looked at his world, there was no evidence that this was a time that the Savior would show up. But he knew it because the Spirit of God revealed it to him. You know what I believe the Spirit of God is revealing to the heart of Christians today? Because it's in the Bible. Be ready. Be ready. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. Acts chapter 1 tells us we're not, we've not been given the knowledge of the times and seasons, but we are to be prepared. When is Paul's time to die? You know what he said? I'm now ready. Can I ask you something? If I asked you today, are you ready today to die? What would you think that question is insinuating? We almost always ask that question of people we think are unsaved. Saved person, are you ready? Paul said, I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departures at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. You know, he says, I'm ready in that my sins are forgiven. He said that back in 2 Timothy 1.12. He said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul had entrusted the justification of his soul to Jesus Christ. He had put his soul in the hand of Christ, and he was righteous through Christ, and he was ready and that his sins were forgiven. I'm asking this, am I ready to stand before the judgment seat? Am I ready for that? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And it says we are to take heed how we build on that foundation because that the judgment seat will be saved, but our works will be tried as by fire. You know what I believe Simeon was? He was ready for the Lord Jesus when he showed up because he was tuned in to the Spirit of God. He was not being led by his culture. He was not being led by his emotions. He was not being led by the circumstances of his life. He was being led by the Holy Spirit of God. We're not to be led by the disposition of our world, friends. Many of us today, our spirit is not being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. It's being controlled by what's going on in the world. Hey, Simeon was under the direct leadership of God by the Spirit of God in a dark time. And the Lord had him ready for his coming when he showed up the first time. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You and I, please hear me as your pastor. Those of you who call me pastor and you're members of this church, I'm not leaving anybody out, but especially those that God's entrusted me the responsibility to teach and preach the truth and exemplify that. We need to learn to hear the Spirit of God. You say, well, that's the Bible. I understand, but how do you know that the Spirit of God makes application of the Bible to our lives? You can read your Bible and not hear the Spirit of God. He is the author and he is the one that makes it alive and makes application. It says, because I said this, this is what you need to do. On this day, Simeon walked into the temple ready to meet the Savior, not knowing he would be there, but because he was walking in the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God was his counselor. Can I ask you a question this morning? Where are you getting the advice that you're living your life by? All of us are living our lives based on something we believe. Every one of us. 
The question is, is that coming from the Holy Spirit? Or is it coming from another source? It can come from my imagination. It can come from the world. It can come from the crowd in general, the Christian crowd in general. You know where, it needs to come? You know where Simeon was getting his cues from? The Bible says it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. When it says he came by the Spirit, means the Holy Spirit had directed him on that day to go into the temple. He was so walking in the Spirit that by the Spirit of God, he went to the temple on that day. Still honoring and practicing worship, but he is directable, leadable. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth also in his way. Psalm 37, 23. We need to learn to hear the Spirit of God and let our steps be directed by him. Somebody said, Simeon, where are you headed? I'm going to the temple. Why? Because God told me. Because God told me. He didn't tell me. I don't know what he told you, but I know he told me I'm going to the temple. We find that Simeon was living a life directed by the Spirit of God. Verse 27, he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do him, to him, uh, for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God. And so we find that the Spirit of God was dwelling in him, declaring to him, and directing him in his steps. This is a simple thought. Ephesians 5 tells us this before we move on to our final point. If you would turn there in Ephesians 5, that the child of God, this is not an instruction to the super saint, it's to the everyday Christian. I don't believe the Lord wants us having super saints. And what happens is you have folks that are devout and folks that are not, but the instruction is to all of us, to every believer, to every person that's saved. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now, do you remember what one of the defining words for devout was? Circumspect. Another word to describe circumspect is prudent. To apply the word of God in our lives diligently. To be sober and to be vigilant and to guard our steps and not just live life willy-nilly or by our fears and cares. But we are to live them under the direction and leadership of God's word. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Question, those words in Ephesians 5, are they suggestion or are they commandment? They're commandment. If I'm not walking circumspectly, meaning if I'm not being attentive to the will of God and listening to the Scripture and spending time with God to get His mind for my life, am I right with God today? I'm not. If I'm just drifting, I'm cruising through life without really thinking or applying the Word of God in a practical way, what would the Lord have me to do? Lord, if you'll speak to me and show me what to do, I'll do it. He'll show and He'll lead. He'll bring His will right to our front door and we'll have to make a decision. I'm going to obey God or do what I want. This morning, all too many are living either by folly or fear. It's either their fears driving them or their follies pulling them because of love of pleasure or fear of death or fear of man. We're to be led of the Lord. We're to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's how Simeon was living before Christ came the first time. So we find his character. He was just and devout. We find his counselor. The Spirit of God was with him. The Spirit of God revealed things to him. The Spirit of God directed his steps in such a practical way that Simeon's life could be practically seen 
how he was living, where he was going, the way he was spending his time, where his feet were at, and what his ears and mouth were doing were directed by the Spirit of God. Now, you find me somebody in the Bible that's filled with the Spirit or under the influence of the Spirit, and I'll find you somebody that speaks of Jesus Christ every time, whether prophetically or directly. When a man is filled with the Spirit of God, he will not exalt himself, he'll exalt Christ. When a man or a woman is filled with the Spirit, they will not draw attention to self. There's sort of people today saying, well, I'm filled with the Spirit, and you don't hear of Christ, you hear of a lot of other things. When Simeon, under the leadership of the Spirit of God, he was, first of all, he was led to Christ, and then he lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. Then took he up him, took he him up in his arms, talking about the baby Jesus, and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He didn't say, whoopee, I finally won the lottery. I'm ready to die now. <laughs> he was not living for money. He said, I found what I was living for. God, you told me I would not die until I'd seen your Christ, and I've just seen him. Again, how do you know? By the word of God. God had told him. He did not recognize that baby any other way than God said, that's him. Right there. You know what it took on Simeon's part? God's telling him, that's my son. You know what it took on Simeon's part? This is complicated. Faith. He just had to believe. God. He had to believe that God was telling him the truth. You know what the Spirit of God is saying today? The man Christ Jesus, who is outlined in Scripture, is literally and truly the Son of God. He came in the flesh to the womb of a virgin. He raised from the dead in the flesh, and He's coming again in the flesh. You know, you know what it takes on our part to know Christ and to, lift, to have Him dwell with us? We have to believe God about the thing. We have to believe Him. I, I believe it. I can't prove that scientifically, but you said it, and I believe it. <laughs> Oh, friend, that's when your soul is blessed. That's when you can bless God. A lot of people aren't blessing God today because they're not convinced of Christ. Listen, if you're convinced of Christ, I understand the world's haywire and it troubles me. We've got to figure out how to navigate this thing. But look, I've got him living in me to, ha- to navigate me. Do you not? Then what are we so, so wrought up about? He's still living, is he not? Is he still able to direct? Is he coming again? Is he not? Are we living for here or are we living for an eternity with him? Honestly, what are we honestly living for? Oh, we need that heart check, do we not? Am I truly living to say, if I know I have Christ, I'm satisfied? When Simeon picked up that baby in his arms, his expectation was fulfilled. He had seen everything. Look, here's an old man who lived and seen a lot of troubles. But when he saw Christ, he said, I'm ready to go now. Nothing will prepare you for leaving this world like knowing that Christ is living and that He's your Savior. There's nothing else can. (laughs) And so then, His expectation was fulfilled in Christ. In a moment, we'll read Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But we not only see that, we see that He exalted Christ. The Bible says, uh, in verse 30, He says, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What had He seen? A little baby who is Christ the Lord. God's salvation is not a program. Simeon did not look around and look. How many times had Simeon seen the temple? He didn't walk in and say, I'm ready to go, Lord. I've seen thy salvation. That temple was not his salvation. The brass and the gold there was not his salvation. He didn't see Rome and say, oh, my salvation's come. Salvation is not a political program. Salvation is not a religious program. Salvation is in a person. Jesus Christ. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not even about getting dunked underwater. The only significance of that is affirming your faith in Him. 
Amen? When Simeon saw Christ, he said, I've seen thy salvation. I've looked at him. I know who the Savior is. Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to deliver us from the fires of hell. He did not come to make us better people. He came to give us life because we're dead in sin. And so then, Simeon said, I've seen thy salvation. He was satisfied in Christ. He exalted Christ all the way down through verse 32. He says in verse 31, which thou hast prepared, talking about salvation before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He knew prophetically Christ had not only come to bless the Jewish nation, but the entire world, that in him all nations of the earth would be blessed. So he exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, and finally he gives an exhortation concerning Christ. He said, what does that have to do with you? You know what I think he's sitting there doing? He's saying this is salvation. He's preaching the gospel before Christ had ever died. Here's salvation. So he said, what's that apply to us? You know what we ought to be doing while we patiently wait for the Lord's return and live devout lives? We ought to be saying, I've seen God's salvation. His name is Jesus Christ. I've not seen Him in physical form. I know Him through God's Word. We ought to be proclaiming that salvation is in Christ to a world. And then He turns around and He exhorts God's people. Isn't that the Great Commission? What we're supposed to be doing until the Lord returns? Yet you and I as Christians get all hung up in so many other things. I'm sure Simeon put food on his table somehow, but his life revolved around the coming of Christ. And ours is to be no different. He's standing there and he lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've seen thy salvation, God. Now let me depart in peace. He is a light to the Gentiles and he's the hope of Israel. And then he turns to Joseph and Mary. The Bible says in verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. I would too. You walk into the temple unexpectedly and some aged man comes up. says, Oh, the baby. I've seen God's salvation. What do you think that did for Joseph and Mary? For him to testify that their faith was not in vain, that he was exactly who they believed him to be. You know what? We ought to be living our lives in anticipation of Christ's return, telling the world that Christ is salvation and telling those that believe in him that he is worthy of their trust. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them, talking about Joseph and Mary, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be real. You see, I thought he exhorted them. He told them the truth. He said, this child is the son of God. He, I've seen thy salvation. And he turns to them and he blessed Joseph and Mary because of their faith. And he says, look, here's who he is. He is given for the, the fall and rising of many. Meaning, by Christ, man will be condemned. And by Christ, man will be saved. All men will be judged by what they would do with Jesus Christ. All men. Acts chapter 17 says so. You're not going to be judged by how religious you were. You'll be judged by what you did with Christ. How devoted you are, devoted to God, will be determined on what you did with Christ. You can try to be a, a devout person without Him. It won't happen. If you have Him, you'll love Him and serve Him where you should. But my point is this. He says, this, this one is given for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And He said, Mary, a sword's going to pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He is prophesying of the death of Jesus Christ and the pain that it would cause Mary. May I say this? I'm trying to say this. Simeon, as an encouragement to Joseph and Mary, told them the truth about who God had entrusted to their care and about their faith in Him. But he told them the truth about the suffering that comes with Christ in this life. May I say this? When we follow the Lord and we believe on Him, there is a cross to bear, but He is worthy of it. 
and eternity, the Bible says that the glory that shall be revealed, the sufferings that we have in this life, cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us in eternity. Meaning, whatever suffering we have, whatever pain there is attached to our personal faith in Jesus Christ in this life, will be nothing compared to the glory of heaven. We need to put that in perspective. The message is so simple this morning. Simeon, I believe, is put here for us as he anticipated the Lord's first coming to be an example and a reproof to us as we anticipate his next one. Simeon is so much like us. Here he is. He is waiting on the Lord to come. He, is in, he, is, he has the partnership of the Holy Spirit to direct him and to guide him, to give him light. We have, we have more than Simeon have. We have an entire Bible. He's not only upon us, he is within us to guide us in the way we go. Now, my question is, if we take Simeon as a measure of how we ought to be living our lives in anticipation of the Lord's next coming, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we living with the same kind of anticipation he did? Look what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. I believe after the Lord intervened Paul on the road to Damascus, I don't just think, it's very clear in Scripture, Paul was never the same. That's why I went from Saul to Paul. When he got a hold of the fact that what he had heard of Christ was not just an idea, but a fact. There's something to it. When you realize that Jesus Christ did not come to establish a world religion, he came to save the world from its sin. He is not the author of a religion. He is the author of all things. Please hear that this morning. Don't ever put Jesus on a shelf with Buddha and Muhammad and some other religious leader. He created those men. He is to have his worthy place, and that's preeminence, meaning my world is to revolve around him because he made all things, and by him all things consist. He is God who became man. We cannot treat Jesus like the author of the world's favorite religion. Nonsense. He is the maker of all men, and only by him can man be saved. And when Paul understood this was not a fiction but a fact, Paul had been treating the gospel of Jesus Christ like it was a man-made ideology that there was a day when the Lord Jesus Christ intervened in his life, stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus, convincing him once and for all that what he heard Stephen preach in Acts chapter 7 was a truth of God. And when that happened, Saul became Paul, and you talk about devout. It'd be hard to find a more devout Christian. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says this, verse 20. Let's back up just to verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You know, Paul's saying... My goal for living is that the use of my body would make Jesus Christ more clear to those around me. Isn't that what a magnifying glass does? You can't make the Lord Jesus bigger than he is. What you can do is through our living and the use of our bodies bring him into focus. Our lives should magnify Jesus Christ. He who is so distant to so many, our lives, and Paul says that in my body, the way I use my tongue, the way I use my face, the way I use my legs and feet and arms and hands. I want my body to be a magnifying glass for Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want you to ponder that as we close this morning. I believe Simeon was the same way. So Simeon, what are you living for? The day I see the Christ. 
Say, I mean, what are you waiting for? New gold on the temple? I'm not enamored with the temple. I know who built it and it's not going to last forever, but I'm enamored with the one that it's about. What are you living for, Simeon? God told me I won't die until I see Christ. And I'm just waiting. It can't be much longer now. Many times, if we were honest, we would write Philippians 1.21 like this about our, our lives. An important aspect of my life is Christ. And to die? Well, I kind of dread it because I'll leave a lot of things that I really love. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. He didn't say Christ is part of my life. He didn't say Christ is the best thing in my life. He didn't say Christ is the most important thing in my life. He said, for me to live is Christ. Talking about one thing. One thing. If God doesn't change my mind, I want our theme in 2021, and I don't do themes often, but I want it to be this thing. One thing. One thing. Martha was careful and troubled about many things. She was careful and troubled about the food, and careful and troubled about the house being in order, and careful and troubled, but Mary, she hath chosen that good part, Jesus said. So Mary, there's one thing, Martha, Jesus said to Martha, one thing is needful. One thing. And Mary hath chosen that good part. What was it Mary was doing that Martha was not? Sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Christ was her life. This morning, let's be honest. I have to be honest as the preacher. And I need this verse and I need this message on a regular basis to pull me into focus. Am I living for the day I see Christ? Or am I living for a better day on earth? Am I just living for a better life? Or am I living for Him? For to me, to live is Christ. I believe that sums up the life of Simeon. He lived day by day as a just and a devout man because he was living in anticipation of seeing the Savior. How about it this morning? Maybe this morning you say, you know what? I'm not even close to ready for that. Perhaps through God's Word, God has shed light on your own spiritual state. Perhaps you'd say, you know what? I'm not even assured that my sins are forgiven. I'm not even assured. I know who Jesus is. I believe about Him. But friend, my question for you is, have you put your trust in Him? Have you received Him? Have you realized you and He don't save you, only He does? Salvation is not me and Jesus working together. Salvation is me letting Christ do for me what I can never do for myself. I met with a man this week, and I'm about to close. And the man, is, his life is a mess. By his own admission, he'd tell you his life is a mess. And, and he's, it's a dark world he lives in. And I was able to say to him before I lived, I said, you know what? I said, he kept saying, you know, he's trying. He's, he wants things to be better. And I said, what you've got to come to is the realization that it's not. He said, I don't know what else I need to do. I said, you need to let Christ do for you. You need to let him be your savior. You don't need to do anything except for trust Him and let Him make you new. Now I'm asking, when was it you realized Christ is the Savior because He's the one that has to save? You can't save yourself. For by grace, that's what God does for you. Are you saved through faith? All our part is trust. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But Christian, this morning, the message is especially geared toward you. So you know what? I'm a just person, not because I'm righteous of my own, but Christ has justified me. His blood has washed my sins away. I know He's my Savior. He stands in my place in heaven. I am a justified person. Are you devout? Is the Spirit of God directing your steps? Mm-hmm.